You are listening to the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast, and this is episode number 56. This episode was sponsored by the Visionary Journal. The Visionary Journal is a day planner with vision, encompassing everything you need to successfully achieve your goals. It seamlessly blends setting goals, a vision board, planning your day-to-day, and monthly review to help you get from idea to done. To learn more about it and to order a copy, you can visit visionaryjournal.co. Welcome to the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast with Monique Malcolm, a show about creative people leveraging their brilliance to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the chorus of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast. Hey, Star Chasers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance. I'm your host, Monique Malcolm, and the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast is a show for side hustlers and aspiring creative entrepreneurs that want to turn their ideas into income and crush their goals. And we do that every single week with interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs. And then I do solo shows where I share strategies, things that I have learned, bits and pieces of my own journey in an effort to help you go out there, pimp your own brilliance and turn your own ideas into something amazing, whether you want that to be eventually full-time entrepreneurship, or if you just want to keep it a side hustle, an income stream that brings in some extra cash every month, the choice is yours, but I'm here to help. Today is another inspiring interview. And if you are a crafter or run a handmade business, you are in for a treat because I have Danielle Spurge of the Meriwether Council on the show today. And if you don't know Danielle, here's a little bit about her. Danielle is a maker and craft business biz bestie an educator who loves ice Americanos and pop music. Sidebar, I love that she wasn't afraid to infuse her bio with a bit of her personality. But anywho, through her work at the Meriwether Council, Danielle teaches creative people how to turn their crafty tendencies into profits. On her blog and her podcast, Danielle aims to inspire and support makers in business and share insights from her eight plus years of experience selling handmade work online and working with hundreds of students to do the same. So as you can see, Danielle is an expert on craft businesses. Specifically in this episode, we talked a lot about Etsy and some of the things that you can do to improve your online Etsy shop because I've had some requests in the Star Chasers United community for this type of information. So if you aren't inside of Star Chasers United, you totally should be because I let the members submit questions for me to ask Danielle specifically on this episode and it's an opportunity that's available to anybody in that community. So startchasersunited.com, look it up, see what the membership is all about. But anyway, if you are a maker, a mover, a shaker, someone who is really crafty and wants to make some income with their craft tendencies, this episode is for you. So grab a pen and your notebook and let's dive in. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I am really, really excited to chat with you because I, as I mentioned off off interview, I have quite a few makers in my community and they're always asking questions about Etsy and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't work on Etsy. Even though I am <laughs> a product seller, I don't yeah. work on Etsy and I no longer sell handmade things. So I'm like, I'm not the best person for this. Who can I find? And <laughs> you are like the Etsy guru. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and to get to talk to you about Etsy and maybe some of the changes because I hear, you know, some people are a little bit in a tizzy about that. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> I This is a, a tangent, but when I got started with my first business, I was on Etsy. I was on all the platforms. Etsy, I've done Artfire, I've done Big Cartel. I was on Big Cartel probably for the longest Um, And I remember those Etsy forums and everybody was always in like a fit about something like something was always not right. (laughs) So I I can just imagine how it is now. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's start at the top. Tell us how you got started, Um, because I've read a bit about you, but maybe some of my listeners don't know about you. So let us know who you are and how you got started with your business, the Meriwether Council. Sure. Well, thank you again for having me. Um, as everyone knows, my 
name is Danielle. I got started on my crafty entrepreneurial journey um, immediately following college in 2010. I was at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, Massachusetts, which I loved. I got a BFA in 3D Fine Arts with a concentration in fibers, which is a pretty obscure degree. (laughs) But um, I graduated and all through senior year, I had planned to go to graduate school because I was one of those people who's like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So let me just stay in school a little bit longer (laughs) until I figure it out. So I had been all set up to go to graduate school and I had a scholarship and then at the very last minute I decided not to go to graduate school because of some issues I was having with the department I was going into and it's a really long story but basically I decided not to go and because all of my friends already had their plans their jobs they were going off to do whatever they want um, and my plan totally fell apart at the last minute I was like, well, I don't have any other obligations. You know, I wasn't married, no kids, no dog, no job. (laughs) I decided I was going to start my handmade business upon graduating. And that's something I'd always been interested in. I did my senior thesis. I mean, thesis in art school (laughs) is very, a very loose term. But my senior project, maybe we could call it on the handmade movement, handmade business. So that's something I was always interested in. And it just felt like now or never. And I just kind of went for it. And I had all the time in the world to, you know, throw myself into this. But I everything else was limited, like funding and, you know, all those things. So I started and things were really slow as they are, you know, figuring it out. Started on Etsy. Eventually, I found some traction. You know, I was doing a lot of um, craft shows in the Boston area. Boston is a very vibrant arts community. So that was actually just a stroke of good luck (laughs) for me. I happened to live there. Yeah. So there was lots of opportunities. And I was saying yes to everything. Anything that came up, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. Um, I'll be there. Uh, and eventually, you know, things started to take off. My product was being purchased more often. I was getting more features and things were going really well. And I did my handmade business full time. Like I have not been employed in the traditional sense, uh, since I graduated college, I did my handmade business full time for like four and a half years. And then I transitioned to, sort of being a mentor to other makers as well as uh, running my own handmade business. And now I do them side by side. (laughs) So I've been there, done that. (laughs) And now I still am doing it and I'm still there, but I'm also helping others, which is really rewarding for me and is nice because, you know, you spend so much time alone as a shop owner. It's really nice to have other people to talk to and sort of, you know, I'm still alone physically most of the time, but um, it's nice to have communication with other humans and be part of other people's success. And that just means a lot to me because so many people thought I was crazy when I was doing this, when I was getting started and didn't believe it was possible. So I like to help other people show the people in their life who are like, yeah, you're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I can do this. I love that. And well, you just said so many things that I really resonate with and that <laughs> are a part of my own experience, um, particularly people thinking the things that you do are crazy. Uh, yeah. I remember <laughs> early on doing this, people just assuming that I was at home all day watching TV or like, they're mm-hmm. like, you don't have anything to do all day. And I'm like, what do you mean? I probably yeah. work longer hours than you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm just in the house. It, it feels more comfortable because I don't have to put on business casual clothing, but I do actually have things that I do. And the the whole thing about possibility, that is like one of my key pillars of my -hmm. brand, Keep Chasing Stars, is showing people what's possible because I believe everybody's dreams are possible. And like you said, showing other people that they can do it too. I just, it's the best feeling in the world. I can't, I can't ever get enough of that feeling. Yeah, no, I love that too. And there's just so many, you know, I think, I hope that the landscape is changing, like the narrative what we teach people in school and how we view like entrepreneurship and having a job and being a grown up is shifting to be more inclusive of these non-traditional careers. But there's still so many people who are like in the like 
old school mindset like you have to have a nine to five you have to have a job that gives you you know like benefits and all this stuff so like on the one hand it's frustrating but I do kind of get it because just like as a humanity we haven't like expanded our cumulative understanding of what it means to be employed or be an entrepreneur yet and to see that all as being legitimate so the more the more people I can help become legitimate on their own I sort of see that as my role in helping change that narrative um so that all of us can sort of grow and learn I love that and you're right. Um, I, but I think that's the beautiful thing about the time. What a time to be alive in this yep. internet age <laughs> where we have so many different versions of what a creator is. It's no longer just a person painting and it's not sure. a person knitting or sewing. The It has changed and the opportunities that are there are crazy. It's it's really just a matter of like, what do you like to do? And, yeah. and are you willing to put a little bit of sweat equity behind that to make that thing happen? So. I love it. I, I think all yeah. of that is great. Yeah. I fully believe anybody can like turn what they love into a business if they know what, you know, they have the right tools, the right mindset to do it. So it's kind of exciting or it's really exciting. But even even in in college where I went, there was still kind of a pretty narrow perspective on what you should do after you leave school. Um, like most, even m- most of my professors were like, I don't know about this handmade thing you're doing. <laughs> and that was in an art school environment. So, you know, pretty weird. <laughs> I was on Etsy like early, mm-hmm. maybe like 2008. So that's, gosh, now that I'm saying this out loud, I realize how much time it's been. <laughs> it's like 11 years, but just think about how much yeah. has happened since you've graduated in the last nine years. I mean, the yep. internet, what we think about handmade business. I know when I started um, doing things online, mm-hmm. everything was so much smaller. And like the idea of a handmade business was like people were making good money. But I mean, now we're seeing like people are scaling and like turning these handmade businesses into their own product lines and like really taking on the roles of like what. I think traditional brick and mortar stores are things that we see in the mall. So it's the landscape is different. And I think if people uh, detach themselves a little bit from the idea of like handmade is just somebody hobby sewing on the weekends Mm -hmm. and really think like, no, these people are legitimate product creators and they run legitimate businesses. I think that's where we have an opportunity to really change that narrative and have people really realize that this is not just a hobby joke thing that people are doing on the weekends like this is legit employing not only that person but maybe like a small team of knitters or sewers or whatever the the thing that they're specializing in is yeah and that's one of the things I love too is that people can sort of do it at whatever level they're able to on their own terms or whatever level they want like I always tell people I've used my business my handmade business like for full-time income part-time income you know, there's been times where I've like been, you know, on extended vacation, like no income. So it can really be like whatever it is that you need it to be or want it to be, um, which is the freedom, I think, that people look for when they become self-employed. Yes, 100% yes to all this. So let's <laughs> let's dive into some talk about Etsy because uh, that's I think everybody wants to know how they can sure. <laughs> be better at Etsy how they can get more visibility and we'll kind of circle back to some more things about you and how you run your business but I think the one of the first things that I know when I was doing some research on you is I know that you really like teaching handmade shop owners about optimizing and leveraging so can you talk to yeah. us a little bit about what you mean by that yeah so For me, I see Etsy as a tool and that's what I encourage all of my students and just anybody who passes through any of my channels to see Etsy as a tool, a really powerful tool that they can use if they are in a business that Etsy sort of touches. So generally that's handmade, but also people who maybe sell vintage or supply, this could apply to them too. But for me, it's usually handmade business-based people. Um, it's such a powerful tool because, you know, there's power in the numbers. A lot of people see Etsy and they're like, oh, it's so saturated. But the power is in the numbers. The fact that it draws in so many people um, organically. 
So I don't have to go out there and promote Etsy. Etsy is like bringing in all this traffic naturally to its site. And then my job as a seller is to filter some of that traffic into my shop, the best possible traffic from that overall pool of traffic that's coming there. It is the smallest, most targeted, and therefore the warmest pool (laughs) a handmade business can exist in. I often hear from people like, oh, Etsy's too saturated. I'm going to set up, I'm just going to focus on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm like, on what on what basis is Instagram or Facebook less saturated than Etsy? I do not get it. Um, you know, if we compare like co- pools of competition, things you have to stand out against, Etsy is far, sm- like significantly, significantly smaller of a pool than either Facebook or Instagram. Uh, but obviously those are tools as well. Really see this ideally as all of them working together. But um, yeah, for me, it's like, if you have a, a product that is Etsy legal and you're listing it on Etsy, Etsy should be working for you, not you working for Etsy. So I see so many people, and I've been in this trap as well, where it's like pedaling, 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 chugging along, sending all this traffic to my Etsy shop, and that works. But then as soon as you stop doing it, it doesn't work anymore. So the I sort of like flip the script and say, let's make Etsy send us traffic from within Etsy. So we can promote our own sites or we can spend just less time promoting our Etsy shop in general. And that's really the main idea that I like to work with is let's let's use Etsy for all of its worth. And like there's so much power in this platform that we can leverage for ourselves and bring more traffic that's already coming to Etsy to our shops. And the thing about that traffic is generally it's people who are, they they know they're coming to an e-commerce platform, which Instagram and Facebook both are not. (laughs) So they are coming at a time when they are ready um, to buy or look for things they might buy someday soon. So if you know you want to buy something, you go somewhere that sells things. You don't go to a place, you don't go to a museum where you just look at things. You go somewhere that you can actually physically buy things. So while someone might be on Instagram and see something that they want to buy eventually, it's not a place that people go searching for things to buy right now the way that Etsy is. So if you know you got to buy a baby gift or whatever, it just makes more sense to me that someone would look for that on a platform that sells products as opposed to just waiting, sifting through an endless Instagram feed to see if they see something or searching on Instagram where you're competing against every niche on the planet um, for exposure for that product. So for me, Etsy is the most powerful tool available to handmade business owners for the purpose of making sales. That doesn't mean other tools are no good or that people shouldn't have their own websites. It just means if you're selling a handmade product, you can use Etsy to sell that product easier with less effort. You've made so many good points there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a particular thing that you said that stood out to me the most was just the, you breaking down the fact that people who are coming to Etsy, they're, no, they're coming to buy. They know they're on a website to purchase. It's not nobody's like right. going to Etsy just to browse and spend hours and upon hours doing that. Like they know I'm here to, I'm looking for something specific that I'm going to buy versus being on whatever other social media. And like you said, they could just stumble upon something and we don't even have a lot of control over what shows in our feeds these days anyway. So it's right. random, <laughs> random ads for things that you probably didn't even want. I see ads for the most random things lately. So I think that is a really, really key point. And I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and what you said about Etsy being like the smallest um, e-commerce site for niching down. I never even thought about the fact that Instagram is there is no niche on Instagram. It's everybody. It's a free for all. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's a really, a really great point that you made. And it's, it's definitely possible that people come to Etsy and just look for hours and hours, you know, but it's far less likely 
or, you know, less frequently than people just go on Instagram and because Instagram is like for fun and you want to see pretty pictures and be inspired or whatever. Um, and Facebook is like you are catching up with people, you know, or you're in communities that you're a part of. And then sometimes things come through that maybe are, you know, interesting and available to buy. But the people who go to Etsy are by and large people who want to buy something either today or in the near future. They're like researching, you know, their options of what they can buy. Um, or they're influencers, people who are looking to cover cool things for media or people who buy for celebrities or, you know, TV sets or whatever. So the quality of the traffic for the purpose of a handmade business owner is better um, than it would be. And it's far less competition than you have on Instagram or Facebook, which I think people don't really see it that way. They just are like, there's so much stuff on Etsy. Yeah, but it's a lot less stuff than there is on Instagram. So that's a very fair point. So this brings up the question, I guess the going back to this idea of how people view Etsy as it's saturated, but you're saying it's not, it's actually a really great platform for makers. And I think, I think that's spot on, but how can people ensure that their listings are being seen? Cause that's a huge thing. People want more traffic. They want more sales. What are some things they can do to make sure that people are seeing what they're putting out there? Yeah. So even though Etsy is relatively small, I mean, there's really no way to say that any platform at this point is small and also lucrative to be on. Cause if something is small, it's probably new and still needs to grow because of power and numbers. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but because there is still a lot of stuff on Etsy, it is important for an individual seller to have enough listings to be found. Um, sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, well, I opened shop, I did all the things, the whole song and dance to get them up, the the images are nice, whatever. And I still haven't seen any traffic or sales or both. And it's like, well, you only have three listings. And that's okay. But you have to be realistic about what three listings as in the big picture does. The more listings you have, the better the chances are of you being seen in a numbers game. That's just the facts. Um, but on the other hand, it's better to have three really great listings than to have 300 that are junk. So um, there is like a fine line. And this that number is, there's no magic number. Sometimes I hear from people, oh, I heard I have to have 100 listings and then my shop's going to pop and I'm going to see success. That's not true. There's no magic number. It's everybody has to find what is the good number for them where there's quality and quantity at the same time. Um, and then of course the listings that you do have, you want them to be outfitted properly to appeal to Etsy, not just search. A lot of times people focus a lot on search. Um, but there's, that's just one part of optimization. It doesn't stand alone, but you know, there's this whole thing, you know, the title, the tags, you want to outfit those for Etsy search. One thing that people think is true but isn't is that Etsy reads your product description for search ranking, and it does not. It only reads your title and your tags and some of the little nib-nobby, drop-downy things, <laughs> the attributes and variations and things like that. Um, but it's important that you call your item what it is, plainly. I see sometimes people have jewelry collections. This happens a lot with jewelry collections and they call it like the juniper number three. It's like a bracelet, juniper number three, juniper number four. No one is going to know to look for that. <laughs> so you need, if it's a bracelet, you need to call it a bracelet. What is it made of? You know, figure out how to describe it to a person who has never seen it before. Because most people are coming looking for something general, right? Like a bracelet some kind of jewelry, jewelry of a certain color, jewelry for a certain occasion, whatever, something pretty general. Um, and it's up to you to sort of tell them I have that. <laughs> and then, you know, also you want to 
I mean, there's, we could talk about this forever, but you want to appeal to that like general thing, but also people who may have seen something similar to what you have, um, but don't know how to describe it. A lot of people get super technical with their, their words. And it's like your average person doesn't know that that's the name (laughs) of that or, you know, a stone or certain colors. If it's blue, it's blue or it's some very common way of describing the word blue. It's not some crazy technical (laughs) color. Like you have to be realistic about what do people know and what are people likely to look for. Generally, it's just a matter of being kind of basic (laughs) you know I know for us as creative people everything is like we want it to be cool and creative but you really want to think about the buyer the person who's ultimately going to come and find the other thing is sometimes people don't know that they want what you have because they've never seen it before so you want to show up in those searches where it's you know someone's looking for this that or the other thing they wouldn't know how to describe exactly what you're selling, but as soon as they see it, they're going to be like, yes, that's it. (laughs) So you have to kind of tread the line between super ultra specific and a little bit general. Uh, That's like the very, very boiled down version of the whole (laughs) strategy. (laughs) But yeah, it's, you know, about having things for people to actually find volume wise and then making those things approachable um, to the human. A lot of times people get too caught up in searchy stuff, technical searchy stuff. And that's why optimization doesn't stop there. And it's SEO can't stand alone. You have to remember that there are humans involved in this transaction as well. <laughs> so I'm wondering uh, when you were saying about people, some people having just like three listings, what if legitimately you have 10 things because you're starting out, you're super new. Would you suggest mm-hmm. that somebody like, create a second listing for basically duplicate a listing, but maybe tweak the description or the, the title or ch- put new pictures? Yeah, you can. That's definitely um, that's definitely a thing. It really depends on the inventory, the item itself. Um for example, you you wouldn't want to tell somebody who's made this one of a kind, like this truly one of a kind, let's say art piece cannot be duplicated. You wouldn't want to have two listings for that. You're actually not supposed to. That wouldn't be Etsy legal. <laughs> but um, if it's something you can make over and over, certainly you could have more than one listing for it. Um and change it the pictures uh i mean you see that a lot with anything that has like a variation to it it's smart to kind of show pictures of all the options so to sort of promote that yeah that is definitely an option you don't want to get carried away with it but (laughs) i was just wondering because i I know somebody's gonna ask them like what if i only have three things like i don't know you have three things (laughs) I mean, there's, I mean, there probably, there probably are people who like truly have three items, but the thing is, if those are the only three items, even if you sold out completely right now, can you sustain a business that way? So I'm not sure if it matters whether or not your shop is fully optimized (laughs) to sell three items and then that's it. So you have to kind of think ahead, um, you know. And that that does happen sometimes, too, is like I look at someone's shop and I'm like, even if you sold every single one of these listings right now, then what (laughs) you have to like you wouldn't even would you even make enough money to replenish the shop? Would you have a ton of downtime between these listings being here and then everything being sold out? And so you have to have a plan for being in business if that's truly what you want. And I, I assume that anybody who's listening to this is somewhat serious about making a business out of Etsy or at least Etsy being part of their business. So if if you're listening to this and you can only make three things, you need to think about what does that mean for the future beyond those three things. That's a really good point. So, you know, sometimes a side hustle is it's a side hustle needs to say a side hustle. Right. Uh, but if you you're right, if you want it to be a legitimate business that's going to replace your income, Three items is not going to cut it. 
Right. Especially if you can't make those three items again and again. So if you can, then that's fine. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, that's fair. Makes That makes perfect sense. Okay. So moving on to my next question. What about makers and social media? Because there's mm-hmm. like this bit of overwhelm about the fact that you are a handmade business and you are actually making things. And then you also have to keep up with social media, which is content creation. And it's a whole thing in itself. So it's like you're double making now. So do you have any advice for (laughs) combating like the social media overwhelm? Uh, Social media overwhelm is like the constant thing. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a way to truly overcome it. One thing I know for sure is that makers are kind of lucky in the sense that, and I say this as somebody who runs a handmade business and a service-based business, it's so much easier to create pretty and interesting content for a a maker-based business than a service-based business. Um, You know, every, every listing in your shop has like just, you know, at least 10 social media posts in it already just waiting to happen. You just got to pull the pictures out, pull some of the description out, you know. Um, I mean, if your listings are set up correctly anyway. (laughs) Uh, So everything you've already done is content. I know content sounds like a, a weird and like, oh, that's a word that doesn't apply to me to product business people. But content is just anything you've already created. So your entire shop can be turned into social media content might take a little bit of time but at least the work's already done you already have those pictures you already wrote some stuff about it um you know for me like when I do my podcast for I'm sure you can relate to this it's like what can I show you I'm sitting here in my pajamas there's a computer there you know like it's not as pretty as like here's this really well done finished product it's so colorful I've styled it for my website nice so you know it's much easier I say easy as like okay everything is relative but um I think makers kind of forget that they've already done so much work Um, And they just have to repurpose it, which is another (laughs) word that people don't (laughs) like. Um, But that is a nice way to to think about it. Also, like supplies behind the scenes. There's so much like cool stuff happening as you're making something. It's easy to sort of like if you can get in the habit of like recording yourself, taking photos of yourself while you're working, set up a little tripod or something. That's the kind of stuff that people really actually love to see. They love behind the scenes and process obviously depends on you know your market who you're who you're trying to reach um but on the other hand if if people truly hate social media I don't think they should do it (laughs) I think they should find something that they want to participate in um whether that's maybe some people feel more aligned to like making videos and post them to YouTube or Maybe some people really do love writing. There's got to be a way to sort of take what you're doing and make it work for you. Um, but I think we just feel overwhelmed because social media is overwhelming. <laughs> I don't know if there's a way around it, unfortunately. No, that's it's so true. And I think I think we when people ask me that question and, and I'm basically telling you a question that somebody asked me, um, they just assume that we're not overwhelmed by social media. I'm overwhelmed by social no, media. I am. <laughs> I've been doing it for years and I know all the strategies and batching and I know how to take pictures and do all of these things, but it's just, it's a lot. It <laughs> is. It is. It's, it's just a lot. So uh, you're right. I don't know if there's any particular way that's, that you're just going to feel better about the overwhelm of social media aside from, as you said, like figuring out what parts of it that you like and participate in those parts and just screw everything else because it's, it's overwhelming for everybody. And uh, yeah. maybe reducing the amount of platforms that you're trying to participate on is oh, probably the sure. best way. <laughs> yeah. That, that is probably the number one thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, I even just use like Instagram at this point and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> By the time I get it together to be like organized, like something's changed and is like no longer relevant, what I was, you know, so. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel you. I have these community submitted questions and I'm trying to work them all in. So I'm going to pick one more because I have some other things that I'd like to ask you about 
how you run your sure. business and how you Sorry, sustain. I'm so chatty. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I'd rather you be chatty than not. Sometimes I talk to people and I run out of questions and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what yeah. I'm going to do. We still got 15 minutes. <laughs> um, okay. So I have two questions then. Okay. One is about how does somebody competitively price products, particularly ones that are like time intensive, like crocheting or knitting? Mm. Crochet and knit, I feel like are the two that it you find most, it's most rampant that people are like underpricing significantly. Um, they, there's like this whole pricing, th- like pricing is like a whole thing. The, the short version is do not, no one is in competition. You can't compete on price basically. That's what uh, my business fairy godmother Marie Forleo always says. You cannot compete on price um, because there's always going to be somebody who's selling it cheaper. Like literally, no matter how cheap you go, someone will be selling it cheaper. So just forget that. <laughs> You're not going to be competing with people on price. Compete with them on other things. Um, you know, quality and style, originality, like those kind of things can be weighed more heavily. Um, And don't be like, don't be so intimidated by like what other people are doing. Just maybe don't even look because it's just going to confuse you. I think the, the traditional pricing formula is a good place to start. Like if you just Google pricing formula, what the thing that comes up, that's a good place to start. (laughs) Um, But you can't really stop there. You want to sort of think about like your position in the market. What are you offering? What are you bringing to the table? That's different or similar. Um, And like factor those other things besides just numbers into the price and just, just know that no matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody who's pricing it lower. Um, but there's also probably going to be people who price it higher too. So it's okay to be at the top of your price, you know, in your niche, the top, one of the top prices, price ranges. That's okay. You just have to be able to support that price with the infrastructure of your business. Okay. I like that. And the other question was, oh, tips, tips for new sellers that are trying to stand out. Sure. Um, so I think the first thing is to really think about the game plan here. And like we were talking about earlier, like three items isn't going to cut it. So let's think about like your actual like product line. If you're like really just getting started, like I think that's huge. Um, also, if you're like truly just getting started, People probably hear this and be like, oh, that's a cop-out answer. But, like, remembering that it's not going to happen overnight is probably, like, my number one biggest tip. Like, the mindset of you have to give this time to work. If you can feel okay with being a little bit uncomfortable for, like, a year, (laughs) that's probably best. Um, But, like, tips is so hard because everything is, like, everybody's product is different. Everybody's life is different. And this is such like a personal lifestyle decision to like start this business. Um, I think not allowing yourself to become overwhelmed by everything all at once is probably huge. So like for me, I I always tell people like focus on Etsy before you focus on Instagram. Etsy is a, you know, like we said earlier, just a better opportunity for the the result you ultimately want, which is sales. Yes, Instagram is great for like attracting new people and their train community. And that ultimately will trickle hopefully into sales. But like you have, what is, what are you going to tell your Instagram people about unless you have a shop to send them to or some kind of item to make and show them. So if we can focus on Etsy, I think people also learn so much as they're going through the process of setting up their shop. Um, just naturally, and that helps them move forward. So definitely would prioritize Etsy over Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest or anything. Um, and then I would I would suggest that people find a biz bestie. That's what we like to call it. Some like one or two, you know, small group of people or one other person that 
gets it because most of us don't have people in our daily life who like truly get what we're doing. And so when you talk to them, they either glaze over because they have no clue what you just said or the the advice they're giving you is like so irrelevant. They're just trying to be helpful. They don't know what to say. Like you need to find somebody who like gets it and can support you and understand what you're talking about. And I think that is hugely important. So some of those things are not like, I know people want to hear like list this number of things, put this thing in your listing. It's the, the be all end all kiss to success. But there, there's nothing like that. Success comes from, you know, accumulation of right moves or best moves for you. And I think having a biz bestie is major in that and having the right mindset is major in that and having some kind of plan is major in that. So <laughs> those are my tips. All right. Fair enough. I like them regardless. Okay. So let's talk a little about, bit about you. I would like to know what are some ways that you stay organized because you mentioned you're running your handmade business and now you also are doing service space what are some ways that you kind of juggle both of those so that you don't feel like it's you're going to burn out? Oh yes. Well, <laughs> um, some of the some of the tools that I use have brought in like some that really help me stay focused and keep things organized in terms of like columns and rows. I really love Trello, which is a free. Uh, web-based application Um, and that's just really good I I just I feel like Trello is my brain like visualized all of the things are in there if they're not in there they essentially do not exist to me Um, being really being really um, selective about what I say yes to like I think I mentioned earlier when I was first starting out I said yes to everything that does not work long term. That's cool <laughs> for like getting experience and like trying new things and stuff. But now it's a matter of being really selective about how I spend my time um, and what I say yes to. But I think people have to grow into that. You have to kind of know like what is worth your time. You have to do a lot of things to figure out what is worth your time, right? So it's okay to say yes to everything for a while, but eventually you'll learn <laughs> that you can't say yes to everything forever. Um. And then I, I do, um, you know, I limit what I offer in both of my businesses so that I can do both of them to the extent I want to do them. For me, there's that, I think I mentioned this earlier too, like there, the freedom aspect of being self-employed is important to me. So like from year to year or month to month, I, you know, depending on what I want, to do in my life or in my business, sometimes one of them has to give a little. Like if I can't make as many handmade products in one month so that I can do something else, you know, in my life or my the other part of my business, that's okay with me. I, or, you know, if one month I really want to, like in the holiday season, I tend to focus more on my products and my other, the other part of my business kind of dies down a lot. So I have to kind of adjust because I'm only one person and essentially running two completely different entities. And so I just have to be really honest with myself about what can one person accomplish to the level I want to accomplish it at. And that's, that never means that both things are 100%. They have to give and take. So I think that's probably could relate to people, whether they have a family or just other things in their life that need their attention. Sometimes those things take precedent over, you know, something else and being able to sort of compartmentalize things and be okay with, you know, taking advantage of the freedom that you have as an entrepreneur. I agree. So what do you feel have been some of the challenges that you face as a business owner? Well, that coming to those things that I just mentioned was a huge challenge. Um, being okay with saying, you know, this month, 30% of my my energy is going to this part of my business or whatever has been a huge challenge and understanding that like I am a single individual, I have limits. Um, but also I think finding consistency is a challenge that I get asked about a lot it's still a challenge for me in some ways to find 100% perfect consistency from month to month in terms of planning, in terms of income, in terms of what I 
what I'm able to output. Consistency is a huge challenge for me, I think for a lot of us, but I've sort of tried to reframe that as like, it's not that I couldn't be consistent. It's that I'm so like, have so many things I want to do. I I can't be consistent because my ideas change from, you know, month to month or season to season. What I'm trying to accomplish changes. So how could everything be super consistent? And just being really okay with the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, really. (laughs) I know that people want to believe like you, you spend five years building this business and then bam, every month, this is your income. And for some people, maybe it is. But that for the vast majority of people I know, that is not the, you know, what you get comfortable with is seeing your year as a whole and like knowing, you know, summer months are a little slower, winter months are a little crazier. It's all fine. At the, at, in the end of the year, it all washes out um, and it's good. But being OK with being a little bit uncomfortable for a little while is a challenge, <laughs> but I think it's it's worth attempting um, and just be just being realistic is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree. It, there's peaks and valleys. And I always tell people being the boss of you, being responsible for all of these things, having a business, it's the highest highs and it's the lowest lows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, really it swings. Is. It swings so widely. It's crazy. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I think if people could just like know that that's normal, they would feel better about it. So it's normal. <laughs> It you is heard normal. both of us just say it. <laughs> yes, that's a very, very fair point. Okay. So if you had to sum up your entire experience being a business owner into like one biggest lesson learned on your journey, what do you think it would be? Ah, uh, wow. That's deep. I mean, maybe I'm saying this because we were just talking about it, but like you have to keep going you can't expect things to change rapid. Um, like just to, you know, I, I have friends who have started businesses like in the past like year and I'm like, you have to keep going for like at least three years to give this a fair shot. Like you have to, because you're going to learn so much in the first like year that like, if you don't use that knowledge that you learned in, in this first year in a second or third year, like you basically just wasted a year of your life. Like you have to keep going. <laughs> Like, please, like, use what you've just learned. Um, just not not giving up too soon is, I think, the biggest thing. It's relevant to me right now, too, because I'm just now getting through a project that was supposed to take four months, and it's been a year. <laughs> so that's my thing. Um, like, you just have to keep, like, it doesn't make sense to give up now. You have to keep going. Um, like, it'll all pay off eventually, just being okay, just having faith that like it's, it's there, it's good. Um, you know, I sort of see it as like, I'm just working my way to something that already belongs to me. Like it's already there. It's mine. I just have to go and get it. I like that. I, I like that. I can see the visual. It's like, you just got to the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to make it to the light. <laughs> yeah. And like that light may, you may never fully get there and that's okay. You just have to keep going. I love that. All right. So we are down to the wire at this point with our the end of our show. Um, I always love to end with the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge, which is three things that someone can do to get their Etsy shop started right away. So right away, first of all, if it doesn't exist, go on there, make yourself an account, figure out your, your business name, your username, whatever, set it up. Etsy is really good at guiding you through the initial like setup, like things you have to absolutely do. Like you can't even move forward until you do them. So you'll get that done. Then come and see my blog. There's tons of Etsy stuff on my blog. Lots of things you could do rather quickly, but primarily let's put up like, let's aim for five, maybe 10 listings. I know we spoke about that earlier. Um, and make them the absolute best they can be visually. That's the first thing that matters is like, what do they look like? You don't need a fancy camera. You don't need a fancy studio. Just take the best pictures you possibly can of this item. Don't take one, take 10, take six, as many as you can possibly think of to take of this item, 
fancy them up. There's millions of different ways to edit your photos for free online. Make them look as good as they possibly can. Think, remember that you are a consumer yourself. What do you want to see when you go to a shop? Make your listings look like that. <laughs> okay. And then the third thing um, for like immediate setup is don't like this slows everybody down. Pricing um, slows everybody down. They get to that part and they're like, I don't, I just have no idea what to do. Just take a deep breath. Do your pricing formula. Like I said, you Google pricing formula, the thing that comes up right away, run that formula. You're going to feel super uncomfortable with the number that comes out of the calculator. That's okay. If you can't bring yourself to put that number on your item, just put a number on it that makes you back the money you spent. It is okay when you're starting out to price a little bit lower and give yourself room to grow into that ultimate like goal and price. Put put it out there. You will adjust this. Like just know that this is a never-ending tweak fest. You will adjust this number over time. Just put it out there. Let it sit. See how you feel, see what happens and then go forward. Those are probably like the three things that people like absolutely have to do to get started. The best damn picture you can take or create from an edit, um, some kind of price that you can at least get started with, knowing that you're going to tweak it and knowing that you have room to grow into that ultimate bigger price and knowing that it's okay that you're uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those would be the the biggest things to just do it don't worry so much right now about this whole description you know you can work you can build that out over time just get the thing in the shop and then you will feel motivated actually once it's there to do the rest of that work but first you have to put something up to feel that motivation so that's my suggestion all right. So just do it. That is the just suggestion. do it. <laughs> okay. I always love to know, uh, what are you currently reading? And it doesn't have to be necessarily a business book. It can be anything. Well, I'm, I'm relieved because it's been quite a while since I've read a physical book of any kind. Um, I'm, I'm like very late to the party. I've just now gotten into like Reddit. <laughs> like, like, what is that? Like 16 years late to this party, but I really love to read uh, some of the like scary stories on Reddit or like those personal personal accounts of different things that happen on Reddit. I'm sure some of them are fictitious, but they're still entertaining. So that's <laughs> my current thing that I go to for reading. I love I'll that. get back to bu- books eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's such a real response. All right. And if listeners want to get in contact with you, where can they find you? How can they reach you? Sure. So uh, MerriweatherCouncilBlog.com is sort of the hub for everything. You can get to everywhere from there. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram at MerriweatherC. And this is M-E-R-R-I-W-E-A-T-H-E-R, <laughs> Merriweather. Um, and I have a free Etsy masterclass that people can watch if they're interested in just hearing more about my perspective on Etsy and getting started and what Etsy can do for them at unlocketsy.com. Those are the three primary ways we can get to know each other. (laughs) All right. So you guys know how you can read Danielle. Thank you again for being on the show. It was great. I really love your perspective on Etsy and just making people or getting people out there to create their handmade shops and, and create businesses that they like and things that they want to do. So thank you again. You guys definitely reach out to Danielle if you want to connect with her. Uh, if you like the show, tag us on Instagram. You can reach Danielle at Meriwether C. I'm at Star Chasers Only. And until next week, go out there and pimp your brilliance. <laughs>